Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 289. Work for your mentors. Go to your mentors and say, I want to learn what you did to be successful. Pick their brains, you know, and that is what got me successful. What got me to be successful is literally going out there and saying day in, day out. I would work 10, 12 hours a day, and then I would go home and spend two hours on myself. I would study myself. I would read myself to this day. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you tired of placing orders after a long day at the restaurant only to have them come in wrong on the day of delivery? Perhaps you're still doing inventory with paper and pencil. Maybe the sound of cutting labor costs is appealing. If you're interested in five times fewer order returns, two times faster order placements, and $2 saved on labor costs for each order, then you've got to head over to www.bluecard.com and sign up today. Many thanks and happy ordering from Blue Cart. All right, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Dustin Vallette. Chef, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Unstoppable today. Yes, sir. <laughs> this is fantastic. Right. So this is uh, Dustin Vallette from Vallette Restaurant up here in Healdsburg, which is in downtown Sonoma County, which is right smack in the middle of the best wine-growing region. Uh, man, in the world. One day I will make it out there, and when I do, I'll be sure to visit you. So uh, you kind of already gave the listeners a little bit of an introduction, but uh, this is going to be a two-part interview. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be speaking with Dustin today, and Aaron, his brother, Aaron Garzini, is going to be coming on the show in the future, and uh, co-owners of Valette's Healdsburg. Uh, you guys uh, have been, you know... In each other's lives for obviously a long time, 15 years ago, <laughs> uh, sitting at your father's house, talking about this vision. You brought it to fruition uh, in 2015, and you in the back of house, your brother in the front of house, uh, you guys have just gotten incredible accolades, and you're doing amazing things from what I can see. I can't wait to kind of dive into how this all happened. So before we really get your story and how uh, you evolved as a professional, let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling chef. And why don't you kick it off with a success quarter mantra? Yes. Yes. So my brother and I talked about this crazy idea of opening a restaurant almost 20 years ago. Sitting in my dad's house, we both been in the restaurant business our whole lives. My brother, Aaron, he always did front of the house. He worked at John Ash. He worked at Beetle Nut in San Francisco. He worked at Francis Ford Coppola's restaurant up there in uh, Geyserville. So he's always been front of the house and me have always been back of the house. I started is a whopping 13-year-old kid in the restaurant business. Um, started washing dishes, by the way. Very, very exciting. And I always wanted to uh, always wanted to be a chef. And my brother always wanted to be a restaurant owner. We always talked about it. We always would have one too many uh, glasses of eggnog at Christmas and get all fired up and say, ah, we're going to do it one day. <laughs> and uh, here we are. 20 nice. years later, we opened uh, Valette right downtown Hillsburg. We've been here almost two years. We bought it in January of 2015, and we opened March of 15, and uh, we're approaching our two-year anniversary. It's nice. freaking crazy. If they say you can do it two years, you'll be in for the long run, so that's good news, man. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> and uh, Nice. Good. <laughs> they, uh, so you grew up in the hospitality family. You're, this The spacer in now was the original space your grandfather had a, a restaurant. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's crazy. So I grew up in this town right here, Healdsburg, where we are right now. And both my parents are pilots. Uh, my dad worked for, still does work, for Department of Forestry, flying the air tankers, puts out the fires. My mom actually used to fly for REACH, which was an air ambulance service. So uh, 
big helicopter and airplane would fly down, pick you up on the side of the road and bring you to wherever you needed. Awesome. And I just, uh, I'm, I'm what you call a petite gentleman. I'm a right 250 <laughs> pounds. Um, and because of that, I enjoy food. So I've always been in the restaurant business when I first started. And the bakery where we are right now, which we converted to restaurant, is my great-grandfather's bakery back from 1940. Wow. Um, and we're kids in Candyland for the fact we actually got to not only take the restaurant over, but also to have that piece of history back in the family. Oh man. I can only imagine just the, like the sentimental, uh, you know, ties you have to the space and how much, you know, just how much more exciting this whole thing must be for you because of the family history and the space and everything. But bring us to the point um, when you knew, you said you were 13 years old, you kind of had an idea you want to be a chef, but bring us to the moment, chef, where you knew this was going to be your career. Can you think of a time, a specific time that this, this, you know, aha moment kind of laid on you? (laughs) The aha moment. Yes. Kind of funny. It goes back a long way. So I was actually about 11 years old. Okay. And I remember sitting there at my house and my dad came home probably around nine o'clock at night. My mom was working late also. So I was a little 11 year old kid. And I remember the entire family, my two brothers, my sister, myself, we all sat around the table and it was a busy day. I remember, you know, school was school. You're busy running around doing paperwork. I'm sorry, homework at the time. Yeah. And it was busy, but I remember mom and dad coming home. I remember my brothers all sitting down, my sister, we all sat down around the table and we had dinner and mm-hmm. it was that sense. It was a cold day and my dad made like a stufad or something had cooking all day. And I just remember the smell of the wood fire in the background. I remember the crusty bread that we baked off in the oven. I remember this creamy, rich, delicious, like almost like a bourguignon kind of cooked off venison. It wasn't even beef, it was venison. Mm. And I remember this just deliciousness. And I remember me running around, my brothers running around, my parents working. I remember everyone coming around the table at the same time, sitting there, and whatever happened in your day seemed easy. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened before that moment seemed trivial. And here you are around a table breaking bread, literally breaking bread together, and the fights you had with your brothers and the you know <laughs> arguing with your sister and all that crap went away. And instead, it was the sense of harmony, the sense of just, I, I can't describe it other than just joyous moment. And it was that moment that I said, you know, when I grow up, I don't want to be an accountant. I don't want to be um, a tax guy. I don't want to do something that is negative that you have to go to work for. But instead, I want to do something that brings joy to people, something mm-hmm. that gives people that excitement that I had. And my dad told me that night when I talked about it, he said, hey, if you can do something you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And uh, 11 years old, didn't really want to work the rest of my life. So I decided to pick something that I loved, something I had a passion for, something that brought me joy, something I could bring joy to other people with. And that's what started my career. I went down to our local little high school cafeteria at 11 years old, kind of helped out and uh, didn't really find a passion in the cafeteria food for some odd reason. (laughs) And then um, went down with a friend of ours who used to do big like uh, barbecue events. I think I was 12 by then, kind of liked it. And then when I turned 13, I went to my local restaurant in uh, the big town of Geyserville, where I grew up, and literally walked in, said, I want to be the chef. Uh, chef laughed at me and said, get the hell out of my restaurant and uh, come back when you grow up. So like a good 13-year-old kid, <laughs> I came awesome. back the next day. I was like, hey, I'm growing up. Here we go. I'm oh, ready to be the chef man, now. Man, I love and, it, dude. Oh, it's fantastic. And after about a week of that, he finally said, okay, you little punk, I'll hire you <laughs> and I'll have you be a buster. So I was a buster first part of my career. And I got promoted after a month to being a dishwasher. Then I got promoted to being pot and pan washer. Then I got promoted to being a prep boy. And it was when I was a prep boy at 13 and a half that I kind of found my calling. That's awesome. I figured man. that was it. That was that was it. That was a crew of tie. Ever since then, it's been downhill. <laughs> There's so many beautiful uh-huh. <laughs> things happening in this story. And uh, I was just about to ask you, and this is a beautiful segue into the next question, which is what is your purpose? What is your why? And I guess in, in another way I can ask this, what is your passion? It's, and it sounds like for you at that young of an age, and correct me if I'm wrong, you love food, but it seems like the passion was that feeling you got of being together and being around the table and having that, 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 that feeling of togetherness. Is that where, is that your passion or is the food your passion? Man, it's, it's both. I mean, look at what it is. And the day we're, we're animals. I mean, we're mm. humans, we're smart animals, but we're still animals. We still need to eat and drink to be nourished. And if we don't eat 
food and we don't drink liquid, we're going to die. So there's some kind of a holistic, animalistic aspect of sitting around a table and being served food, mm. having someone else catch the food for you or grow the food for you and literally bringing it to you. And there's something that's just, again, it goes back to our core, our animalistic, you know, uh, upbringing as, uh, as creatures, as animals. And to have nourishment just makes you happy. So I don't know if it's cooking, which I absolutely love, or if it's just that element of nourishing people, um, the mind, the body, the soul, the whole nine yards. It's fantastic. And I, I get my rocks off. I love that. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to kind of feed off that idea of nourishment, we're social beings. We need to nourish ourselves with other people, the company of other people. And so you can kill two birds with one stone around the dinner <laughs> table. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm loving this conversation so far. Um, one other thing that I love thus far of this story that you're painting for us, of this the scene you're painting for us, is this definite purpose you seem to have in life. I mean, at 13 or 12 years old or 11 years old, you were going to restaurants knowing that you want to grow and excel in this field. Uh, So, I mean, talk us through the intentionality of your life and how you did it things. And I'm assuming at this point, but I think it's a safe assumption uh, that you live intentionally. Is that safe to say? (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah, walk us through that. I started off young. I started off young. I started, I had a vision, I had an idea. Every job I took, I mean, literally every job I took had a purpose, had a reason. And it wasn't just for monetary income. It was, you know, 15, I left Catelli's, right, my first job, and went and got an apprenticeship at a place called Chateau Souverain, which was Gary Danko's old restaurant, which coincidentally became Coppola, where my brother ended up working right. uh, about eight years ago. So it's this huge full circle. But I went there at 15, and that was the fanciest restaurant in my neck of the woods. I mean, within probably a 50-mile radius, that was it. So I got my license early, went and showed up and told the chef, I learned, I always lie about my age, so I went and showed up, told the chef I was 19. Nice. He laughed at me and said, bullshit. So I like, <laughs> went and got a fake ID, came back the next day, and said, no, look, it says I'm 19. And he looked at this horrible fake ID with, you know, a freaking Sharpie changing the numbers, basically. <laughs> and he said, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm going to hire you as a prep boy. Go from there. Nice. And that, that, that is where I really kind of started in the professional world. Um, I was a prep guy. I became garmager, pastries, ended up being a line, lead line cook. Uh, graduated high school early at 17, went to the CIA, Culinary Institute of America um, in New York, and they actually allowed me in. Um, they told me no, and then went out there and I cooked for them, and they uh, figured out that I wasn't too much of a schmuck, and they actually let me in uh, oh, wow. school early and Man. did that at uh, 17 and just, again, excelled. Every every job, every freaking job I ever took had a, had a purpose, it had a reason. It was working with Thomas Keller, learning that style of food, working with Wayne Hirabashi, learning the food of Hawaii and how you can influence a cuisine by the ingredients and how the ingredients influence cuisine and vice versa. And it was astonishing to me. Just the integration of the food that we had in Hawaii was amazing. Mm -hmm. And that to this day shows with working with Michael Mina and Laurent Manrique at Aqua in 2004 was just same thing. It was just learning technique, learning from the masters, learning from the masters are an issue, learning from the craftsmen. And that's something that's missing. You got to, you know, if you want to be a craftsman, you got to learn from someone that has an amazing craft and you got to learn from these guys. You got to take that knowledge in. And I was, I cannot agree more. So fortunate. You're so smart. And anybody who ever asked me like, what do I, what should I do if I want to open a restaurant? I'm like, well, first of all, have you ever worked in a restaurant? Uh, second of all, <laughs> find out whoever it is that's doing something that you that resonates with you. Go surround yourself with those people. Get the experience. Find out what it takes. Learn on someone else's dollar. And, you know, that's exactly what you did. You lived intentionally. You got the experience. You stayed curious. You were always evolving. And you're just a beautiful, you're a beautiful example of, you know, being unstoppable, literally not letting anything get in your way, like flying out to New York to, to cook to show them that they were wrong about you. Like all <laughs> these things are awesome, man. Um, so take me through uh, the. This this glass of wine you had at your brother's house or your father's house with your brother, uh, and you guys started painting this picture of what you wanted to do together. When did you know that you were going to go in business with your brother? Man, I think it was always a uh, he's my older brother, so I think we always joked about it. We always said, "Oh yeah, one day, <laughs> one yeah. day when we grow up, we're going to have our own restaurant." And I always tease about my family was ideal for it. My eldest brother is a welder, so he does stainless steel fabrication for wineries. Okay. So the theory was he could build anything we wanted for a restaurant. My sister does finances, so I figured she could fund the restaurant. 
And then my brother, Aaron did front of the house and I did, I was a chef. So I figured this was, we were destined to be a family run restaurant as uh, we all grew up and kind of matured. We figured that it probably didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> and the idea was always there. The vision was always there. The dream was always there. And the brother and I sat there on my dad's front porch, which overlooked the entire valley let's, of Alexander. Let's timestamp this real quick. What, what year are we talking about? Oh, man. The exact year? <laughs> Getting all precise <laughs> on me. Um, exact year was 2001. Okay. I, uh, at the time, I was working for – actually just left. No, I was working for Thomas Keller. Okay. Um, Bouchon Laundry. And right. then I just uh, was thinking about moving to Hawaii. And it, wasn't, it was then that Sonoma County, that Napa County started becoming known. It was then that it went from, oh, they grow prunes. Oh, I've heard something about grapes to all of a sudden, this is a food and wine destination. Okay. This is a food and wine metropolis out here. Okay. And it was sitting there. My brother at the time was working at John Ash. I was working at um, Bouchon. And it was, we were sitting there talking about how we were kind of the, uh, working at some of the better restaurants. He was working on the Sonoma County side. I was working on the Napa County side. But we were working at some of the better restaurants. And it was there that we had the idea. It was there that we had the vision to open a restaurant that showcased not just the food that is growing, but the terroir. Showcase the authenticity of the farmer. And not just showcase something you can buy from the store, but really showcase the ingredients themselves. And it was there that we had the idea. The seed was planted. And we went on our separate ways. I went to Hawaii. He went down to San Francisco to Beetle Mutt. We went on our separate ways. And the idea was always there. That seed was germinating. And it wasn't until skip forward 2014 okay. where I was the executive chef of uh, dry Creek kitchen, Charlie Palmer's restaurant. And he was the assistant general manager up at Coppola, which was Francis Port Coppola's restaurant that we were sitting there and again, over a glass of wine. And we said, you know, the time's right. It, the time is now right. The, the County, the Sonoma County, the Hillsburg area has grown up. It had its foot in the door now. And it was the right time for us to take that leap. And we were so very, so very, very fortunate to actually find not just a good restaurant that had good bones to it, but find the right restaurant, the right place at the right time. It was serendipitous. I want to tap on the brakes. This is awesome. Uh, I just want to tap on the brakes real quick because I want to know, how did you know it was time? You know, you have a vision. doesn't matter if you're an artist, if you're, uh, mechanic, if you're building a house, if you're an architect, you have a vision, you have an idea of what something's going to look like. And you have to stay true to what that idea looks like. You have to stay true to what that vision is. On the same hand, you have to be flexible enough to understand the market and what the market will bear. You might say, hey, I make the best um, ice cream in the world, right? I make the best freaking Ben and Jerry's and they kick your ass. I'm the best ice cream maker in the world. If you open that up in Alaska, you're going to have a hard time selling ice cream in the middle of winter. Yeah, you will. It's just not the right place, you know? So, and if you have the best, you make the best purses, make Cartier, the best purses in the world, right? Or whatever your brand is, and you have the best. You know, to go down Antarctica and say, hey, I'm going to start selling purses, and I'm going to have a new, a big fancy shop, not the best idea. So you got to take your vision, you got to take your, your craft, and you got to time it with not only the right location, but also the right timing in society. Mm. And Healdsburg popped. You could see it. You could see right on the wall. Healdsburg was changing. This town that we grew up in that used to have a dirt freaking road and stop signs made out of, you know, uh, old stop signs <laughs> that were painted <laughs> changed. This became a metropolis for not just food and wine, but for dining. Mm. And that is what set us off in the right place. We saw the idea we had, the vision we had was the right idea, we thought. The timing was right in this locale, and location just was given to us on a silver platter, and we could not say no. We were literally ludicrous. We walked away from this opportunity. So 2014, who, who says something? Who's the first person to be like, yo, bro, it's time. Let's do this. Like, how, did that, <laughs> how did that all unfold? That was, uh, that was me. That was my crazy idea. Again, over glass wine. Wine comes back in every part of this conversation. Wine comes back. Mm. The elixir of life. Vina <laughs> um, veritas, they say, right? Yep. The wine, there's truth. Yep. So, and they, they sat back and we said, you know, this is the right time. This is the right opportunity. This is the time for us to take caution and throw in the wind. And this is when I was doing very well in my, uh, my life, my career. I was married. I was very happy, very content. I had a mortgage and a lot of bills. 
My brother was very content, very happy in his life. He had a mortgage, a lot of bills. And we said, you know what? Fuck it. At some point, if you don't take the risk, mm. you can sit there and stare and you're never going to understand what the reward is. So we had to take a step. We had to be true to ourselves. We had to say, look, we're not going to be trendy. We're not going to be one of these trendy restaurants that does all this crap. We're going to be true. We're going to be authentic. We're going to have a vision and we're going to stand by it. And we're going to create what we think is the correct restaurant for Healdsburg. And we did. And we were so darn fortunate. I mean, we got the first six months, Wine Spectator, I'm sorry, Wine Enthusiast gave us top 100. Um, Open Table gave us top 100 restaurants in the United States. Wine Enthusiast was top 100 restaurants in the United States. We got everyone from the Chronicles, the Press Democrat, to Michelin all out here just singing our praises. We were, we are unbelievably fortunate. And I think that's because we waited for the right opportunity. One, two, we never wavered. We had an idea. We had a vision. We threw that dirt and we didn't look back. We said, this is what we're going to do. And we did our homework ahead of time, but when we did it, man, we went full steam. Mm, I love it, man. I really do. And um, let's just dive deeper into this opportunity. What was, you said that you had an opportunity, but was the opportunity of the space? What exactly was the opportunity you're speaking of? The opportunity was the time. Okay. The opportunity was the time in the market. The opportunity was, again, back to the, you know, the Cartier purse store in Antarctica. Yeah. You have to have the idea. It's the analogy I always give people is surfing. If, if you've ever been surfing before, there's a massive wave, a massive, massive wave of energy. That's yeah. all a wave is, just massive energy going through the water. And here you are on a surfboard. You're a small little guy, right? You weigh a couple hundred pounds. You got a little surfboard that weighs, you know, 20 pounds. You are literally one millionth of the energy that this wave has. And if you sit back and you look at the wave and you say, I'm going to wait until I find the perfect wave and I'm going to wait until I can see the perfect wave. Well, the problem is the wave crests, if you've ever been surfing, in order to surf, you have to be ahead of the wave. If you wait until that wave's on top, until that perfect wave crests, by the time you start paddling and you get your momentum going forward, you're screwed. The wave's already past you. On the same hand, if you sit there and say, I'm just going to paddle the very first wave I find, you're going to be paddling so hard that you're going to be ahead of the wave. You're not going to arrive the energy. Mm. So when you're surfing, you have to have the vision to say, I think that wave is perfect. And then you got to have the, the risk of starting to paddle before the wave is actually there, which gives you just enough momentum. And that big chunk of energy comes, that energy picks you up and you ride that wave. You're ahead of that wave. You're just on the cusp of that wave. And it's that mass energy that's pushing you, propelling you forward to ungodly speeds in the water. You cannot ascertain by yourself. And it, beautiful analogy. that was the opportunity. Awesome. That's I the love analogy, it, man. That, that's what happened. And that's what we saw. We saw Hillsburg. We saw momentum going forward. We saw the energy going forward. We saw the turn of the tide going forward. And we knew that if we just sat back and waited for the perfect opportunity, we'd be screwed. So we jumped out. We got ahead of the wave and we started paddling our asses off. We said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to create a restaurant that's fine dining. We're going to create a restaurant that is elegant. We're going to create a restaurant that does everything from scratch. And we're going to have no tablecloths. Bare wood. I'm sitting in my restaurant right now looking at my bare wood tables. And we're going to have service staff that doesn't take themselves too serious. They're not pretentious. They're not wearing suits. Mm. They're going to wear jeans. We want a black shirt. And our kitchen should be open. We want people to be able to see the kitchen, see what we're doing. Show the fact that we have authenticity back there. That we're not buying crap that's pre-made or put in the oven getting hot. That we're not going to use microwaves. We're not going to use freezers. We're going to have a true, authentic craft. And we're going to replicate the craft that I was taught by my mentors. That's when we start paddling. That's when we it. have a vision. And that's I where we are it, now. I, I love it so much. And you just said we want to you know, exercise the craft that you learn from your mentors. So you've had such incredible mentors in your life. I want to talk about what they've taught you. But real quick before we jump into that. Um, you, you mentioned also that this vision, I mean, we've been talking a lot about this vision you've had for 15 years leading up to this point. How did you keep this vision at the forefront? How did you not lose focus of your vision? What did you do in your life to make sure you were constantly working towards this vision? Oh, we all have goals, right? When you're born, you'll have goals. When you're five years old, you're looking at your goal might be to have a new robot, you know, robotic toy. You know, three years old, your goal might be to have the crayons at 10 years old. Your goal might be to have a bicycle. We all have goals. We all have dreams. We all have assertions we want to have. And for us to sit there and say, you know, I'm going to work in the restaurant industry without goals, without ambition, you're just going to waddle around. You're not going to have clear vision. 
for us, for me, I had a clear vision. I wanted a restaurant. I wanted to replicate that feeling when I was 11 years old. I wanted to have people, I wanted to extend my arms, have people around me. I wanted people at the table breaking bread together and smiling and happy and joyous. So chef, and what, do that, what did you do though? What were the things you did to make sure, did you write these goals down? Did you write this vision out? Did you, did you do these things to keep you on focus or like, uh, moving in that right direction? That, that's what I'm curious about. You have to. I think it's quintessential. You need to sit there and say, here's my goals. Here's my one year. Here's my three year. Here's my five year. Here's my 10 year goals. I have that to this day. To this day, right now, I have my original drawings from, you know, when I was a little fat 16-year-old kid saying I want to do this. <laughs> when I was a kid at 16, I said I want to graduate high school or then I want to go to culinary school because that was the hardest thing I could do. That, Beautiful. to me, was the unascertainable. That, to me, was shooting for the moon to get to the top of the mountain. You awesome. can't aim for the top of the mountain if you want to get there. Look at any kind of analogy you have, a gun. To shoot the bullets to the top of the mountain, if you aim at the top of the mountain, you want to get hit halfway in the middle. So in order to get to the top of the mountain, you got to aim over the mountain. Mm. So as the bullet goes out of the barrel, as gravity falls and pulls it down, which happens to everything in this world, gravity, that you hit the top of the mountain. For me, it was a kid at 16. I said, I'm going to graduate school early and then go to culinary school, period. Awesome. And they told me, no, that gave me ambition. When they told me, no, you can't get here until you're 18. That gave me ambition. When they told me, no, you're not qualified enough to go to school as a kid. That gave me ambition. That gave me drive. That gave me passion. That gave me energy. That gave me tenacity. And it. if you don't have that in your career, you're going nowhere. You got to have a vision. So w- let's talk about uh, the steps you went through to, to get the funding. Uh, that's one thing that most people or a lot of people when opening a restaurant, the biggest challenge is getting that initial capital. So how did you and your brother go about getting this capital to open your first restaurant? You know, I think for most, they say the failure rates, what, 97% in restaurants? Something like, something like that. that. It's up there. And it's way up there. And the reason is, People who are the craftsmen, people who are learning in the restaurant, they don't usually have the means to be financially stable. For myself, every job I've ever taken, every single job, I have never asked how much I got paid. Not once. I was laughed at when I was in Aqua when I walked out of the meeting and the owner, Laurent, looked at me and said, Dustin, you never said how much you want for a salary. I said, I don't care. It was me laughing. He goes, how can you not care how much I pay you? And I said, because within six months, I'll prove to you what I'm worth. Ooh. And every one of my jobs, I have always had that nice. mentality. I've always had that approach. I have never in my life got a raise every year, ever. I've got raises. Over, I mean, when I left every, all my jobs, I've been very fortunate, let's say. Right? Yeah. And the reason why I never cared about the money was it wasn't what was important to me. It was the future. It was my craft. So most people who are successful, most restaurateurs, most chefs, they don't always worry about money. They care more about the craft. They care about learning. They should care more about learning the craft from the best as opposed to the highest paid. And when it comes to actually develop a restaurant, you have to have a couple of things. You have to have a business sense. I was very lucky at 17 years old. I worked for a chef by the name of Eric Olson. And he taught me that to be successful in my career, there are things I had to stay away from. Drugs, excessive alcohol, excessive partying. And there's things I had to focus on. He said that, in order to be successful as a chef, you need, or a restaurateur, you need to understand business. Mm. And I was very, very blessed that I took those words and I wrote them down. And I still, to this day, ensure the fact that I don't have too many vices. And I also ensure the fact that I study business daily. So throughout my career, Aqua, the first restaurant I had when I was 27 in Las Vegas called Vox, when I was the executive chef at Dry Creek Kitchen in 2007, I ensured the fact that what I did was I stayed there and I learned business. I didn't just go there and cook, but I also learned the business. I learned the business side of it. I didn't have a degree. I wasn't a major in business management. I was a major in culinary, AOS program of culinary school. So I studied business on the side. So for us, we were very unique. Our restaurant was very unique in the sense that we own the building. We own the restaurant. We have no investors, my brother and myself. I made some pretty smart investments when I was younger, which allowed me to have a down payment, but we are bank owned. And the reason why we're bank owned is because we didn't want to be tied to somebody that told us what Mm -hmm. we should or should not do. We wanted to be the, (laughs) for lack of a better term, the captains of our own ship. We said, here's the vision we had. We knew we're not going to make money in the first year of operations. We knew that. 
And you go to an investor and say, hey, Mr. Investor, I want to take your money and have a huge risk of 97% chance of failure. And we're not going to make money in the first year. They're going to scoff you. There's no way in hell they're going to give you money. But if you can go there and say, here's the vision I have. Here's the direction I have. Here's, the, here's what I'm going to do. And if you can have a, a bank get behind you, a bank that has the means of a massive organization that can understand your ideals, they're going to back you. And we were very, very fortunate that we were bank owned from day one. They helped us with the business. They helped us with the building and they back, they got behind us. They listened to what we said. They believe what we said. I pulled out my goals and agendas for my one year, my one year, my three year, my five year, my 10 year. I said, here's where we're going. And I proved to them that I was financially stable from a business management perspective and that they should get behind us and they should back us. And they did. So we're, (laughs) I love, I love what you're giving us chef. I I just want to just like touch on a few things before I ask the next question. First thing um, you've got to have control of your business. If you're a true visionary, if you're somebody who wants to, I mean, what drives us in this, in this industry is the passion, the desire to uh, express ourselves with our, with our craft to do what we do with no restrictions. And when you aren't in control of the money, you don't make the decisions and you will not be able to express yourself. Like we all need to, to, to keep us sane, to keep us, you know, positive, to keep us happy. I mean, we don't do it for the money, right? We do it because we love what we do. So if, if you lose control, I mean, if you, if you give control to somebody else because they ha- they own majority, then you're not going to be able to do what you love. So you, you need to know that. Secondly, you focus on becoming a person of value, from the very beginning, you weren't focused on the money. Craftsman, maybe craftsman. Yes. Go back to craftsman. That's what we are. That's what we do. If you want to get the capital in the future, become a person of value. Value being your knowledge, your skill, all these things, uh, the experience, you become a person of value. You had you in the back of the house, your brother in the front of us. Together, you were the complete package, and that's what banks are looking for. Do you have what it takes? Do you have the knowledge? Do you have the skill? Do you have the, the experience to pull us off when we give you the money? So focus on becoming a person of value, and you'll find the easy mu- the money much easier. Uh, just wanted to recap that 100%. stuff. Love it, dude. And, and uh, it's not and it's not it's not just from the bank's perspective. It's from investors. It's yeah, from yep, yep. people that believe in you. Mm-hmm. And why are we not using investors? Because we have a bank. Could we use investors? Of course. Mm-hmm. But we were given the bank. We were given the thing that everyone says. Ah, oh, banks never lend to restaurants. I went to a meeting and I sat there and he said, "Do you have any?" After my whole spiel and my vision, I explained to him. He goes do you have any business experience? I said, yes. And I explained to him my business experience because at all my jobs, I learned business. At all my jobs, I studied business. At all my jobs, I worked. And I, not just, I did not just my job, but I improved the value. Like you just said, I improved my value. And when it. he asked me, do you understand how I run a business? I pulled out a 180-page Excel. And I said, well, I think so. This is my forecast. This is my idea. This is what... I have in my pocket. This is the value I bring to this loan in this case. And it's not just the obvious, it's the secondary. And what you're saying is 100% true. Yeah, and you got to have passion. Uh, I, I love. Got to have tenacity. I love it, Chef. I do, and and you. I'm loving that you're talking about. You're bringing it back to learning the business. Because my next question for you was, for that person that's listening right now, who is the back of house person, or even the front of house person, the front of house person. Um, if they're listening to this and, and they want to know what you did, where to go to learn about business, what did you do? Where did you go, and what were you specifically trying to learn about? And I mean, if you could give yourself you know, a piece of advice, go back to when you were learning these things, like what direction would you give yourself? Knowledge is power. Simple. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power. There's no other way to say it other than knowledge is power. If but you look at... The chef, were you going, were you talking to your mentors? Were you opening up books? If so, what books? What were you doing to learn about business and what can we do if we're in the position you were to really start uh, developing ourselves and becoming a person of value around our knowledge with business? I think it's all the above. I mean, I think sit there and look at, so the smartest person in the world, right? Whoever that is. I mean, Stephen Hawkins, right? Mm -hmm. It's just currently alive right now. Let's just say, right? Mm -hmm. Where does he get his knowledge? Did he get his knowledge all from books? No. Did he get all of his knowledge by listening to people? No. He took people's advice. He listened to people's cliff notes in life and he read and he studied and he improved his mind day in, day out. Our minds are absolutely astonishing. Our minds are one of the most puzzling 
ununderstandable things that we know in this universe, our minds. We don't understand how memory works. We have no idea how my mind remembers how to talk like I am right now. So if we don't work our mind out, we become stagnant. We become stale. We have to work our minds out. And how do you get there? How does someone who isn't there yet, who's you know, a line cook right now at a restaurant, at one of my restaurants, you have to study. Mm. You have to learn. You have to push yourself. No one in life is going to tell you what the answer is. They're going to maybe help you, but you have to ask yourself, what do you want? What's your goal? What do you want to do? And on top of that, how are you going to get it? How are you going to be successful? Because at the day, there's billions of people in this world who all want to be successful. Not everyone will. There's very few people who will go to the pinnacle of that mountain. Everyone's at the base right now saying they want to go to the top, but the top of the mountain, it's hard. It's steep. It's hard to walk up that mountain. So how do you do it? You have to study. You have to learn. You have to push yourself and be honest with yourself. Sit down and say, what do you know? What do you not know? If you are a mathematician, you're freaking brilliant with numbers, don't study numbers. But if you're horrible at cooking and you want to be a restaurant owner, cook. If you're horrible at business and you want to be a restaurant owner, become better at business. Take mm-hmm. night classes. Work for your mentors. Go to your mentors and say, I want to learn what you did to be successful. Awesome. Pick their brains. You know, and that is what got me successful. What awesome. got me to be successful is literally going out there and saying, day in, day out. I would work 10, 12 hours a day, and then I would go home and spend two hours on myself. I would study myself. I would read myself. To this day, this morning, I got to my restaurant at 10 o'clock this morning. I'll be here till tonight, probably around 11 o'clock. It's a 13-hour day. I'm the pinnacle. I am the restaurant owner. I'll be here 13 hours. Of that 13 hours, I'll take at least a minimum of 45 minutes to study the future, to study my goals, to work on my goals, still to this day. You can never stop. Stephen Hawkins to this day reads other people's lectures. Some people are smarter than him. Some people are not as smart as him. But we have to read and study and prepare ourselves for the future. Uh, Awesome stuff, Chef. Really. And uh, two years now as a restaurant owner, uh, as a restaurant owner, what is one or two of the biggest lessons you've learned and how have you evolved over the past two years? You know, I think every day we have to get better. If we're not getting better today than we were yesterday, there's two ways of doing this. Just either going to be increase our quality, increase our experience, or decrease. There's really no stay in the middle. So at this restaurant, in the past two years, what we've been doing is every day we try to get better. Every dish we make, we try to make it better. Every guest that we serve, we try to make them happier the next time. And I would say the two biggest things I learned at this restaurant was one, the value of education, Mm. the value of teaching your cooks to be better, the value of teaching your servers to be better, the value of teaching my sous chef to take my job and be the owner, right? The value of teaching my cooks to be a sous chef, the value of teaching my prep guys to be a line cook, the value of teaching my assistant bartender to be the bartender, the value of teaching my bussers to be the servers, the value of teaching my servers to be the owner to be the general manager. And if you empower people, if you teach people, if you give them the opportunity, they will not only grasp that, they'll grasp that and they'll excel. That's one. Two, you got to be honest. (laughs) You got to be honest (laughs) with yourself. You got to sit back and say, are we doing the best job possible today? Are we doing the best job possible? Or are we coasting? And the day you start to coast is the day you got to get the hell out of that industry. The day you start to coast, the day you got to get away from it, and say, I lost my passion. I lost my drive. I lost my vision. You got to get better every day. You got to be honest to yourself. Are we doing the best job possible? Is this the best ahi tataki ever? Is this the best uh, Liberty Duck coated with uh, cocoa nibs? Is this the best dish possible? This is the best scenario path possible. Did I do the best job I possibly could today? And the answer is no. Then you got to push for it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want to, if you don't want to get better, you got to throw in the towel. <laughs> you got to say it's washed up. I love so, it. So again, I would say education is probably one. And two is honesty. Honest yourself and be honest. Are we doing a good job? Is this the best thing possible? Before we move on to get your failure, I love getting a failure from all my guests. I want to ask a quick question. Uh, I couldn't agree more with you first. You know, the, the power of educating and training your staff and empowering your staff will serve you 
so well, but how do you make the time and where do you work these things in? What do you do to make sure every day you're educating, you're training, you're developing your staff? Like what, what steps do you take? Well, first ask yourself is how efficient are you? How many people play on their phone? How many people screw around on Facebook, Instagram? How many people actually screw around? People say that procrastinator, I'm a procrastinator. I was born procrastinator. I lived my life as procrastinator. And the thing I realized is that last 10%, right? When most procrastinators actually do their work, I was extremely efficient. And that 10%, right? The last 10% of my deadline, I was extremely, extremely proficient. I could do in 10% of the time, which most people do 100% of the time. And that's why I procrastinated. That's why I procrastinated. And I've learned that if I could take the efficiency that I've learned in that last 10% through my life being a procrastinator, and instead apply that to be proactive instead of reactive, mm. right? To be someone who thinks ahead of time and uses that organization, uses that energy, using that drive of that last 10% of energy to accomplish a project, there's nothing to stop you. So how I get so much done, they're very, very simple. I don't screw around. Mm. <laughs> I, for me personally, <laughs> I don't watch TV. I don't watch TV. When I go home, I read. Mm. When I go home, I study. When I go home, I respond to emails. I get 200 emails a day. And if you don't respond to them, you're not going to help. If you're not getting the next generation motivated, you're not getting the next generation excited, then you're not doing a good job as a chef. Yep. If you're not getting your cooks excited about learning, about teaching, you're not, you're not being successful as a yep. chef. And the key to me is time management, 100%. Time management, it. utilize your time efficiently. When it's time to unplug, unplug, unplug. Put your phone away, get away from the world, get away from reality, enjoy yourself. But when it's time to work, you got to start to work, man. I Too many it. people are just bumbling through life. They're playing you know, Pokemon oh, Go with their heads so down, true. just wasting time. But that's not it. It's not about wasting time. It's about being efficient. It's work, about man. utilizing every single second. We're all given 24 hours in a day. What separates the successful from the unsuccessful is what you choose to do in that 24 hours. I love it, Chef. Uh, so real quick, Chef, tell us about a time you fell hard on your ass with a failure or a mistake. Take us through that real quick and tell us how you grew because of it. Well, I think failure is quintessential to growth. Mm-hmm. It's the simplest thing in the world. If we, if we don't fail, then we don't know where the boundaries are. If we don't fail on something, we don't know how far to push it. Think about anything. Think about a hot air balloon, right? Or not a hot air, I'm sorry, a regular balloon. If you take the balloon and you fill it half full and you think the balloon is still as much as it possibly can be, how do you know you're right? Yeah. You have no idea. You don't know how full that balloon is until you overinflate the balloon and the balloon pops. Mm-hmm. So for us to say we don't fail, for me to say I don't fail, would be a completely horrific comment. Not only would it be a complete fallacy, but... If I don't fail, that means I didn't push it hard enough. Mm-hmm. If you don't fail, it means you don't know where the boundaries are. If you don't push it too far, you have no idea what your true potential is. Absolutely. So failure to me, to me, failure is not a bad thing. Failure gives you parameters. Mm-hmm. Failure teaches you what your success can and cannot be. So failures are huge. For me, in business, you'd be very, very careful. You, have to, you cannot do major failures. You can't go bankrupt. Well, our president elected... But most people in the business world don't get that luxury to have a whole bunch of failures. Instead, what you got to do is you got to say, what are the boundaries? What are the micro failures? What are your learning experiences? For me, one of the biggest ones was back at Bouchon in 2000, 2000. Yeah, 2001. 2001 back at Bouchon where I was busy as can be on the line and I made a fundamental mistake of overseasoning something and not tasting the sauce. Mm. My chef, Jeff Ciricello, was so very, very instrumental in 10 seconds of his life, helped shape me so much as a cook because he tasted the sauce that I did not taste, looked at me in a very <laughs> impolite term, told me to go screw myself, and explained to me how important it was to taste the sauce, how important it was to make sure every single thing you touch has a minus touch to it. He was very, very instrumental in teaching me that you, made, you need to make sure that every single thing you do isn't good, but perfect. Mm-hmm. He, that night, taught me one of the biggest culinary lessons I've ever learned as a chef, and that was an assumption. It's fucking never good enough. <laughs> you need to double check 
you need to ensure what you think is correct is truly correct. Awesome. That mistake, that failure to live up to his expectations was the most astonishing, eye-opening, important thing, important revolution, revelation, sorry, of my entire culinary career. Because it taught me that no matter how good I think something is, if I don't taste it, if I don't double check it, then I'm screwed. Mm. And again, was that a failure? Absolutely. I over seasoned the sauce and I served it. And if it wasn't for him to catch that failure, if he wasn't my safety net, I would, I don't know, I probably wouldn't be here where I am right now because I've now learned how important that step is. Beautiful so chef. failures are important. Failures are important. And when we get to this point in our career where we're holding other people's livelihoods in our hands, we make sure of safety nets. And I think that can be taken very, very literal in the sense of, you know, going to war with a country, going, getting a fight, um, breaking a dish, whatever it is you know, running a business, running out of a, going out of business is we need to be very careful of failures when we get to a high level because of repercussions. But at a younger age, you need failures. You need to push it too far, but not far enough where you fall off the tightrope and you die, but make sure the safety net catch you. Chef, you're killing it, man. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsor. We'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. <laughs> but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy to access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the Tipsy banner in the show notes. To all you restaurant owners and managers, I have a question for you. How are you communicating to place and receive orders? If you're still using email, fax, paper, and pencil, and you're tired of errors and the stress that comes with it, listen up, because I have a solution for you. Blue Cart, a back-of-house ordering application for the hospitality industry, is a one-stop shop for all of your back-of-house needs. Find yourself returning too many orders? Blue Cart users see five times fewer returns. Find yourself spending way too much valuable time placing orders? Blue Cart users place orders in half the time. Ever notice being way overstocked in inventory? Get this. The Blue Cart app reduces waste by over 52%. Maybe you've hired a staff member just to handle your ordering needs. Blue Cart will save you $2 for every order you place. How many orders do you place a week? Cha-ching! Sign up today at www.bluecart.com and upgrade the restaurant supplier relationship today. Many thanks and happy ordering from Blue Cart. We're back, and the first question I have for you, Chef, is what is an it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? <laughs> Push it, period. That's it. <laughs> I love Two it. Two words. Push it. you got to have energy, man. you got to have tenacity. you got to go for your goals. You have a vision. You have a dream. You have something you want. Go for it. Don't stand back. Don't stand idle and go, oh, one day. If you don't start today, tomorrow will happen. The next day will happen, and you'll be SOL. You got to go for it, man. You got to freaking push it. I have no doubt that you push it hard every day, man. You're just on fire right now. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Patience. I expect other people to be as good as me, and that's probably not yielding the best result because everyone hasn't grown as much as me yet, or other people that have grown as much as me aren't quite there yet. So I would say patience. Honestly, I say patience is probably my one failure, my one downfall, something I work on day in, day out to be more patient with everything. So uh, this is good. I think it's great that you recognize your weakness. How have you evolved to uh, 
combat this weakness and to uh, overcome it? <laughs> I have two daughters. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, great. What is one piece of advice you have for leading others? To lead others, you need to set the example. You need to be the person in front. You need to be the person who grabs the football and runs. You can't stand there and tell people how to act, how to act, do something, how they should do it. You got to teach by example. Mm-hmm. You got to show by example. You have to be the one that is working harder, longer, and more energetic than the person next to them. There's a reason why the cream rises to the top. Mm-hmm. The cream rises to the top because it's a thicker, higher fat content milk. That's why cream rises. So if you don't push it, if you don't try to expand, you don't try to be better today than you were yesterday, you'll never be successful. Awesome. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during an interview? Do they have passion? Do they have dedication? Do they want to do nine to five or do they want to go above and beyond? Nine to five is fantastic for accountants. If I ran an accounting firm, I would hire nine to five people day in, day out. I want people that go to work early and stay late. I want people that want to improve themselves. I want people that don't want to be my employee, but want to be my boss. That's the people I hire. The people that want to be better than me and the ones that can teach to be better than me. My goal in life is not to teach people to be subpar. My goal in life is to make myself obsolete. My goal in life is to make people exponentially better than myself in business, in cooking, and how to run a restaurant. Beautiful. What is a current challenge your restaurant's dealing with and how are you overcoming it? I think currently the hardest challenge we have, <coughs> pardon me, the hardest challenge we have currently, really honestly, is the world is changing how we get our food products. And for myself, I'm very, very fortunate that we have three farms that we own that we get to buy from, or I guess supplies us, <laughs> our farms. Yeah. But I think for most restauranteurs, from a restaurant standpoint, the hardest part is ingredients are changing because GMOs because of labor, because of water, because of so many different elements, the products we're getting are getting having shortcuts taken. They're not producing the best quality product, but instead they're cheap and producing the most inexpensive. So for me, I would say it's really ingredients. We work very, very hard to source the best sustainable seafood, the best sustainable meat, the best sustainable produce. I think for people in Iowa, that's very hard. I think it's been much harder as the future develops. So what's one thing we can do as restaurant owners, people who get it, like you get it, who want to respect the tradition of food, the, the culture food brings toward our day to day lives. How do we educate our, our people? How, what can we do today to, to stop this from getting worse? For me, I call out my farms. I say, where's my produce coming from? Who's my fisherman? Who's my meat producer? Who's the person who's raising? Who's the ranch owner? Who's actually raising the products for us? And then when people understand that you can get a good quality product that is farm-raised locally, a good quality product that is made within a mile from your establishment as a restaurant or five miles if, you're, uh, if you live in a small town, that you can get a great quality product that might cost a little more, but it's better for the environment and sustains farmers, sustains agricultural people that are trying to do the right thing. Mm. Awesome. Uh, what is one thing besides food your restaurant does really well that separates you from other people or other restaurants? I think we care. I think every single person, every single one of our employees, we opened this restaurant almost two years ago, and we've had almost zero turnover. I think wow. we have the original, all the original servers. I have one, one new cook in the past two years, and I think the thing we do better than most is we hire people that are passionate. We hire people that want to be here. We hire people that don't do this just for the money aspect. They do it because it brings people joy. And I think that that's what separates us from others is we hire passionate people who are both professionals, but also who do a damn good job. Awesome. Uh, What is one book that's a must read for anybody who wants to be a better restaurant owner? Oh, there's no one book. <laughs> there's no one book. There's, Name as many as you copious like. <laughs> amounts. I mean, where do you start? Look at Harold McGee on food and cooking. Gives you the science behind it. Look at Escoffier taught people how to go from cooking, you know, boiled chicken to actually making sauces. 
there's no one book. There's no one, one element. It's you as a developing restaurateur, you as a developing chef, you as a developing restaurant owner sitting down and saying, where am I weak at? Where am I not good at? What do I not understand? What can I read? What can I do to further develop my weaknesses to my strengths? If you only develop your strengths, you can be one-sided. You have to develop your weaknesses. That's what makes you round. That's what makes you unstoppable. That's what makes you a tyrant in the restaurant industry. Beautiful. And you mentioned earlier that you, you spent a lot of time focusing on business because that's where you were weak at one point. Obviously not anymore, but what were some of the resources you tapped into to grow that side of your, your, your personal brand? The thing that I learned is if we simply sit back and say we're going to invent the wheel from scratch, that we're going to have to literally reinvent every single thing. If we reinvent how a square stone doesn't roll and a round one does, we get to reinvent every single thing. We're going to be here forever. We're not going to learn from our past uh, intellect as human beings. On the same hand, if we just read a book and it's just black and white, we don't apply it to reality. We can never apply that to our current lives. I would say the number one thing that helped me the most was a hybrid between talking to my mentors, talking to the owners, talking to the managers of the restaurants I worked at and businesses that I was involved with. And at the same time, reading resources, reading things like the Wall Street Journal, the most dry thing in the world. You read it, get understanding, read contracts, read a 30, 40 page contract and understand what they're saying. And we don't know, read about it. Talk to attorneys who do uh, business litigations and understand what they're looking for. Talk to a bank, a bank, uh, bank manager and understand what are they looking for when they take on a loan? What are they not looking for when they take on a loan? Whatever your weaknesses are, study them. Improve your weaknesses to your strengths. Awesome, man. Uh, Okay, one technology. What's one technology you're leveraging in your restaurant that's making you more efficient, more, uh, you know, increasing in communication, more profitable? Just share one thing you're leveraging now. Trackability. Excel. Excel is the most important, stupid thing we've ever had. If you can understand what your trends are, on my first day of business, I had no idea what my trends were going to be. I had no idea what to assume. I had to guess. The hardest thing to do in the world is guess. But if you can track what happened last year, I can tell you how many covers we're going to do tonight within a 2% margin tonight. Wow. And say it hasn't happened yet. So trackability is one of the most important tools we have. And for me, I'm not a technology guy. I don't write code. Instead, I use Excel, the most simplistic, easy thing in the world. I use an Excel that has about 60 pages on it. They're all hyperlinks. And I have very simple data I enter every single day. <clears throat> how many reservations I started with, what the weather was like, what the events were going on in this town, what's going on in society. And I put down 10 points every day. And then I put down my total covers, my total sales, my check average, my food average. And after a year, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen tonight wow. before it's not even happened which gives me the ability to say what my food cost is, what my labor cost is, what my gross sales are going to be, what my profitability is going to be before it even happens. I can tell you how much I'm going to spend today on food versus how much I have to spend on food. And I can tell you that by a day, a week, a quarter, a month, a year. And these are quintessentials. If you can track your past, you can forecast your future. And until you are, until you have that luxury you have to guess. And guessing is really, really hard. You have to use other restaurants as models. Did you um, did you create these spreadsheets yourself, or did you find them someplace? Is there a template you used, or I I created myself. So okay. I uh, I created them all myself from scratch, and they were all based off things that were important to me. Okay. And things that were the work in my parameters. Remember, a restaurant is very simple. Difference between a Sizzler or a, a Denny's restaurant on the French Laundry, there's only maybe 15% that's different. 85% of the Denny's restaurant and the French Laundry are almost exactly the same. They have servers, they have tickets, they have stoves, they have pans, they have plates, they have glasses, they have drinks, they have wine. They're almost exactly the same. That's 15%. That's the difference. The nuances are the difference. Wow. So for me, when I sat back and looked at the software that's available to me, I took it as an idea but I had to custom design it for me, for my nuances. I had custom design it for what is important to me. To me, the weather. I live up here in Healdsburg. Healdsburg is a now a culinary and wine destination. 
The problem is if the weather's really crappy and rainy, people aren't going to drive up from the Bay Area. So it's going to have an influx on how many cancellations and no-shows I'm going to have. Or people get stuck in traffic because there's accidents when it rains. Mm -hmm. So I have to understand what my weather forecast is to understand what my cover forecast will be. And if I think that it's going to be a rainy day, well, I'm going to increase, I'm going to oversell my restaurant by 7%. And I only do that if I know that the weather is going to be crappy. And I can only do that based off my history. Is it 5% oversell or 10% or 3%? Man, that's incredible. There's so much attention to detail there. We can all just learn from that beautiful stuff. And with nuances, the most important thing is nuances. Oh man. Uh, With all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back in time, chef, give your past self one piece of a business advice, what would it be? do it all over again, the exact same way, change nothing. Because if you don't make mistakes, if you don't stumble, if you don't fall, you're never going to freaking learn. And people always say, oh, if I had to do it again, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't change anything. Maybe I invest in Google. Maybe invest in Facebook. (laughs) Um, Probably a good idea. But besides that, nothing. I mean, you wouldn't change anything. Because if you don't make mistakes, if you don't stub your toe, if you don't fall on your face, you never learn how to crawl. You never learn how to walk. And for me to sit back and say, oh, man, I do this differently? No. The only thing I do differently, I make one change, I'd react quicker. I would have started the restaurant sooner. I would have read more. I would have pushed it harder. And that's the only thing you can do. The only thing you can do is sleep less, work harder, and that's going to speed up life. They say it takes 10,000 hours. Is that right? I think it's 10,000 hours, 50,000 hours to be an expert at something. Swinging a baseball bat, swinging a golf club, um, throwing a dart, running a restaurant, it takes 50,000 hours to be, to be excellent at one thing, to be a master of something. And those hours go by. If you sleep 10 hours a day, if you watch TV for three hours a day, you're taking that and throwing that in the trash. You need to push. You need to make it, make those days extended, make those days longer, learn more, work harder. Beautiful chef. And what's one question I could have asked you that would have added more value to this interview? This is part of the record now or no? What's that? Yeah, we're recording. One thing? Yeah. One thing that would add questions, add value to this interview? Yeah. You asked all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did an excellent job. Thanks, man. I you appreciate it. You uh, everything, man. Beautiful. Um, now, I think one thing you could probably always, you know, get is what are the keys to success? You know, what are your top five keys to success? What are the things you tell yourself every day? What are the things that are on your dry erase board? You know, what are the things that you think of every day when you wake up. All right. You know? So for me, you got to answer those, that now. Those are simple. <laughs> Go for it. For me, those five are simple. Every night, every single night, make a game plan for the next day. Mm. Every morning, wake up and don't lay there in bed and be lazy and lethargic. Wake up and have a snap to your step. Understand that there's X amount of hours in a day. And if you don't maximize them, you're losing. Three, you really have to push yourself every day, mentally, physically, you got to stay on top of it Four, there's billions of people in this world. And if you want to be successful, if you want to be in the pinnacle, you need to excel and be above them. And how do you do that? Ask yourself that question. And last, be honest with yourself, know your downfalls, study your downfalls, make your downfalls, your strongest points and make your strongest points, your best core values. Push yourself every single day. Chef Follette, man, I've had such a pleasure talking to you. You've just dropped gold on us. We're we're better now after listening to you. I like to wrap up <laughs> every interview by having you call somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator uh, aside from your brother? Because I, I already I'm, I, he's on the list. I'm coming after him. Um, that would be a great guest mentor on the show like you were for us today. That's a great question. I would say, I mean, all the people I look at as my mentors, I think we're all quintessential my success. Um, I would sit back with Jeff Ciricella, who owns Farm Shop now. That guy is fantastic. He's a freaking genius in the culinary aspect. And he's also one of the people that pushes himself every single day. So Jeff Ciricella, you're called out, brother. Jesse, look out, man. I am coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know how they can connect with you. Maybe they're in California. Maybe they want to come stage. Maybe they want to join your team. Uh, it sounds like you're not hiring. You already got a full house because you're doing things <laughs> right. But in the future, if you want to join your team, what's the best way to connect? So the best way to find out about us is a little website called Valette, V-A-L-E-T-T-E, Healdsburg, just like where the restaurant's located, which is H-E-A-L-D-S-B-U-R-G.com. So just Valette, Healdsburg.com, which is 
very creative naming. It's my last name in the town that I was born in. Um, and that's it. Come yeah. check out the website. You'll see everything about the restaurant, our ideas, our visions, our food. We're very fortunate. We have amazing photographers always come out here and like take pictures of us and uh, our food, what we're doing. Awesome. I'll have those links in the show notes, uh, the links to connect the, a summary of today's discussion. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 289. You'll find everything right there. Uh, Chef, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as a guest mentor. There, there is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. <laughs> thank you. Sir. I really appreciate it. And guys, like I said, just remember, you got to push every single day. Every day, you got to be better than you were yesterday. Cheers. Wow, Chef Dustin Vallette, man, you truly are unstoppable. I loved hearing your story today, and just uh, you're just an awesome example of what it means to be unstoppable. From a young age, man, you knew what you wanted. You pushed yourself. You got after it, and you surrounded yourself with mentors, and uh, you became a person of value. And I think that's one thing we can do. If we're not in the position, uh, I mean, it takes a lot of capital to open a restaurant, but if we're not in the position to get that capital to open our restaurant, then focus on becoming a person of value get that knowledge get that skill get that experience then you will become somebody people will want to invest in you're you're become valuable so develop those assets that knowledge that skill uh and you will get the money it's just a matter of time it's a matter of who will give you the money chef justin Vallette chose to go to the banks which is fine some people try to get investors which is fine but nobody's going to give you money if you don't create that value, if you don't become somebody of value. So focus on doing that. Awesome stuff. Um, some other things I just love that he shared with us today. Uh, obviously, just that knowledge is power to educate yourself, and that all ties into becoming a person of value. But also, once you learn these things, then pass it on to the next generation. Empower your people. Teach your people. Educate your people. Uh, if, if you want to ever get out of your restaurant, you need to give these skills to the people. You need to duplicate yourself so you can do those things like take a trip to Italy to learn about a new cuisine or maybe just go to your daughter's recital or your, your son's baseball game. Like <laughs> These are things I'm sure you'll love to do. You don't want to be a slave to the business, but you want to duplicate yourself and uh, you do that by empowering your people. Plus, it's just going to do amazing things for the culture of your business as well. So awesome stuff there and uh yeah man just filled with great advice i can't wait to get dustin's brother on the show uh coming up real soon aaron can't wait to have you uh and like always guys connect with me you can connect with me on facebook slash restaurant unstoppable love getting those messages love hearing who you want to hear from email me eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. that's eric with a c and then on twitter at Eric Cacciatore. That's Eric with a C again. Then C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E. Like the uh, delicious Italian dish like I am. All right. uh, And don't forget those 15-minute one-on-one chats. I love those too. Uh, Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one. You'll find the links right there or look for the banner uh, on all the pages at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long. I hope you're finding value in these interviews. I hope that uh, this melting pot of mentors is serving you, is keeping you inspired, is motivating you, and is pointing you in the right direction. So call the action today, guys. Write your vision down. Write down the goals that you need to achieve to, to get you to where you're going. And then just start. You know, push it, like he says. Awesome stuff. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>